0: Him saying, now this is my body, and this is my blood, the new covenant in my blood. You need to partake of it and do this in remembrance of me. So this morning we move to the next chapter, and it's in the Garden of Gethsemane. We focus this morning on the prayer of Jesus. And the question for us this morning is how is prayer for you? Is prayer working for you? What can we learn from Jesus this morning about prayer? Do you think that there is still something that we can work on in our discipleship, in our faithfulness to Christ? So this morning I will invite you just to walk with me to this text and then join Jesus and the disciples as they leave the upper room and they out outside the city. This is the text from Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes the betrayer. So Jesus and his disciples they were in the upper room, and they leave Jerusalem, and they move towards they walk towards the Garden of Gethsemane. If you see the garden, it's about maybe 300, 300 yards outside the city, and it's right there that green spot, you know. And and as they are walking towards that garden, they know that they go up. The garden is located at the at the feet of the Mount of Olives. You see, the Mount of Olives is right there. And uh, so the garden is right there, and they start to walk towards the garden. And as they pass, towards, they, they pass through the gates, they are outside the city. To their right, there are all of the tombs of the saints, the cemetery in which the big saints of the Old Testament are buried. They leave the temple behind. And if you look at the Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives... From the top of the mountain, this is what you would see. And basically, at the bottom of the mountain is the Garden of Gethsemane. So they would have walked that way from the temple area. If you look at the Garden of Gethsemane from Jerusalem, you would, you might have seen this place. And right there in the middle is the Garden of Gethsemane, a little bit to the left. And there is today a church of all nations right there. And inside that church... In the middle of the church, where the altar is in the church, they have this stone where they think this is the rock on which Jesus prayed. Now, we don't know if it's exactly that, but that's the claim. So pilgrims still go today there because it is part of the garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is a garden of olive trees, right? It's a garden that... Jesus visited so many times. And people even today, they say that some of the trees are dated up to be 3,000 years old. So they were, they, they were about 1,000 years old when Jesus walked in this garden. And these olive trees are part of that garden that he visited so many times with the disciples. And before we even try to learn a few things about Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, I just want you to remember a few things about Jesus' habits of prayer. You remember the habits that Jesus had in prayer? Often, if you read the New Testament, early in the morning, before the crack of dawn, dawn, while it was still dark, he leaves the disciples and he goes and prays by himself. That's one of his practices. Often you will read in the New Testament that he has an old, all-night prayer time. Especially in Luke, before the Holy Week. Jesus often in the days in the temple, in the morning, and in the night, he goes with the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he spends the night there. Then, often you will find Jesus praying on the mountain. Either in the morning or in the evening or a whole night. He is also prayer. He is also blending prayer and fasting. Remember how he started his ministry with 40 days of prayer and fasting? And finally, in Hebrews, we are told that Jesus was praying with fervent cries and tears. His prayers were not always silent prayers like we do when we pray sometimes in our own soul, in our own mind. Sometimes he cried to God. And the Gethsemane prayer is such of those prayers when he was speaking to God aloud with a loud voice. I'm not sure what are your habits of prayer, whether you prefer to pray around the table or at home, alone. But if you are in the living room and you pray with your kids on the couch, that's perfect. That's, perfect, that's, that's one way to pray. If you maybe pray at a table when you have dinner alone or with somebody else in your family, that's perfectly fine. Or maybe you pray when you go to bed by your bedside. You pray and you say your prayers before you lay your body down to sleep. What is your pattern of prayer? Do you have a place for prayer? You see, a few days ago, uh, we went to uh, Cuba And what was interesting there is the houses there are flat. They have a flat roof, many of them. And there's the mission center where we lived below at the first floor. And as you can see, it's not all finished. So the second floor in in the mission center, one section is just open. There's a person there. It's so easy to go there. We will say that it's dangerous for kids. They never worry about that. But you see, because of their weather, whether you go there at 3 o'clock in the morning... Or at 6 o'clock in the morning, it's a good weather. They say it's very cold, but basically it's 72, you know. But it's wonderful to go there and pray. It's amazing. And that's what Jesus, Jesus had different places to pray. When he was close to Jerusalem, he would spend the night in prayer on the Mount of Olives. When he was in Galilee, he had other places to pray. I prefer to pray sometimes in the basement, sometimes in the living room. In the living room, I like to walk, you know, I make eights around the tables. But in the basement, I like to more like kneel down and and sit there and cover myself with something because it's a little bit colder. But what's important for all of us is to have a place where we pray constantly or regularly or commonly. Do you have such a place? If not, maybe you are creative and you will find something. Maybe in the summertime, you'll find a place in your yard. But I want us this morning to be challenged to learn three things about Jesus' prayer. The first one is, be open with God in prayer. Be open with God in prayer. We go to our Father. We go to God. And you see, in Psalm 22, it says, I poured out my heart. My heart is poured out before you, Lord, like water. There is no feeling. There is no human feeling that is not brought before God in the Psalms by by King David. Regardless of how you feel, you will find your feeling mirrored, reflected in the Psalms. David live, live, lived it all. It's all there, and the Lord says, Come to me and open your heart. Express what's there. If you are angry, say, Lord, I am angry today. Do something with my anger. If you are lonely, say, Lord, I feel lonely today. Help me with my loneliness. If you say, Lord, I cannot forgive this person, just confess that. And say, I am open to you, Lord. You know what's in my heart. Jesus was exactly that way this night. This is what he told the disciples My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Have you ever been overwhelmed with sorrow? How about to the point of death? He is on the ground, laying himself before the Lord and saying, Lord, I need your help. In my soul, there is so much sorrow that I am to the point of death. I cannot bear it anymore. The word sorrow and trouble there is basically terrified. When he says he is troubled, my soul, he says, is full of trouble. He is basically saying, I am horrified. And I am terrified. What's coming, it's not good. In fact, he will never walk away a free man from that point on. He goes into the garden of Gethsemane as a free man, still a rabbi, teaching them freely. But he will walk out with handcuffs. He will walk out with soldiers. And he will have to pay for the weight of the sin of the world. He will never walk out a free man from that point on. I like how somebody earlier, a few centuries earlier, Jonathan Edwards, he put his way. He said, here is the cup. This is father kind of talking with the son. Why was he troubled? Why was he horrified? Here is the cup you are to drink, son. This is the furnace in which you are going to be cast if they are going to be saved. There is no other way. Either they perish or you perish. Do you see how terrible the heat is? Do you see what pain and anguish you must endure? Will you still go through with it? Is your love such that you will go in? Jonathan Edwards basically is saying that here is a way bigger challenge than the three young men in the furnace in the Babylonian Empire. The challenge now is to go into something, to go into almost like a black hole, to step into a territory where he knows that God is not going. He has to walk on a road nobody else walked before. The three young men knew, knew, they said, oh, we'll go, we'll go into the furnace because God can save us. Jesus now has to take the entire scene of the world, to bury it. To carry it. Going a little further, the gospel says, He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. May this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He was laying on the ground. He was rolling with his face down. And fighting in prayer with the father. He knew exactly what's coming. He knew what it means to be separated. Do you remember in Psalm 22, in fact, the same psalm that David wrote, it starts like this. Eli, 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 lama sabachthani, which means, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows that there is less than 24 hours until he will experience total separation from his father. He will be alone under the weight of sin. And yet he's open to the disciples and he says, you know what, I am horrified. What's coming is not good. It's not so much the physical pain. It's not so much the thorns the beating, the whipping, the nails, the crucifixion, the physical death. It is way beyond that. Because you see, there are many martyrs in the Christian faith and they looked happy. You know, you think about ISIS and the burning of this young pilot." Alive, Many martyrs have been burned alive for their faith. And they went singing and they said, Jesus is with us. Open your hands, my Savior, I'm coming to you. But this is something different. There is nothing beyond what he is going there. He is Christ who steps into a territory which is a separation from God. And he is horrified. His soul is full of terror. So be open with God in prayer. If you watch the movie, The Passion of Christ, Satan comes to Jesus in that moment. That's how the movie starts, with the temptation, with the fighting, with the prayer in the garden. Satan comes and whispers in his ear and says, do you think you can bury it? The sin is too heavy for you. You will crush. You will never be able to pay the price for the world. How heavy is is the sin of the world. You will not be able to bury it. Luke is even more precise. Luke says that his sweating becomes blood. You know, he is sweating blood, basically. And, and I checked, and there is this, what they call, hematidosis. It's when people, instead of water with salt, they sweat blood. And they say that it's a terrifying moment, something so shocking that your blood cells start to break up. And they mix up with your sweating, with the sweating glands. And then you sweat basically blood. But it has to be a high anxiety moment, an agony, something that is so fearful, so terrifying that your body breaks up. Jonathan Edwards again, he says, if just the taste. And a glimpse of these sufferings in the garden were enough to throw the eternal Son of God into shock. And to nearly kill Him in the, in the anticipation of them. What was the actual full experience of those sufferings on the cross really like? If just the thought of what's coming was so terrifying that He says, Father, can you take this cup away from me? And He was sweating blood. And he says to the disciples, I am so sorrowful, my soul is so, I am so sorrowful to the point of death. What then it meant when he was on the cross and he cried with a loud voice, My God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? In fact, Luke is telling us that immediately when he was praying that prayer, there is an angel, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And strengthened Christ. An angel came to Christ, the Son of God, because he was so afraid. He needed extra help. It was the hour of temptation. we he couldn't, couldn't have said, you know what, I'm changing my mind. I give up on this. The first Adam failed in the garden. Remember, there was the Garden of Eden. And he was tempted along with Eve. And they failed. And since that time, we know that humanity is born into sin. We are prone to sin because of that. And now is the second Adam in a garden again. And this time is the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, my father, this is powerful. It's a powerful temptation. This is a heavy weight to bear. I don't know, even the thought of it makes me sweat blood. Can I do it? Can you take it away from me? I will be so much happier if you can take it away. You know that sometimes God gives us things that we don't like, that we don't ask for. And he allows them to happen in our life. And we, in the Reformed way, we say, we believe in God's sovereignty. We believe that whatever happens, it is allowed, it is permitted by God. That he allows those things because he also gives us strength. So Jesus needed strength. And an angel comes to help him. And not only that, he needs the disciples. He needed the prayers of the disciples and that's what he says can you watch and pray with me can you do that with me how many disciples are there they are about 12 total right but one is gone where's judah judah is not praying The others are sleepy. They try to pray a little bit and then they fall asleep because their eyes were heavy. But where is Judah? He's not praying. You see, Judah is betraying Jesus at that right moment. He was maybe taking the money in at that point in time. Counting how many? One, two, three silver coins. Thirty silver coins. He put the coins in his bag and says, follow me. I I will take you to him. The one that I kiss is the one that you need to arrest. So he starts walking from Jerusalem. From the temple where he gets the money. He's not praying. Jesus looks at his disciple and says, watch and pray with me. So that you will not fall into temptation. And also because I need you. I need you to be here with me. Can you be in this hour with me? You see, sometimes we need, when, when the, the, the load is heavy, we need the help of others. And that's what Jesus said, I need you to pray for me. Earlier he said to Peter, Peter, I prayed for you so that your faith will not fall away completely. And you will deny me, but then I will bring you back to me. But Jesus says, now I need you guys to pray for me. I was thinking how many times I robbed Jesus and I betrayed him because I didn't pray. You see, Jesus said, if you are not with me, you are against me. If we do not pray with him, it's not like we are on neutral ground. We are serving the enemy. So Judah was betraying Jesus because he wasn't praying. What a scary thought. To betray Jesus because I'm not praying. So be open with God in prayer. Just let him know where your heart is. And second, just look at prayer as a 911 prayer. You see, when you call 911 because you are in a fire, maybe you are in a corner of the house and the fire is coming... Closer and closer to you. You cannot get out. You call somebody and you say, I want help now. You don't start to say, well, hello, what's your emergency? Well, you know what? Um, how, how is the weather? Uh, how, how are you doing? And No, no, no. You say, I need help. This is the address. I want help now. You want the truck to come in a few minutes, if possible, seconds. Immediately you want help. If you hear a robber coming into your house, you want the police right there, right now. Na- right now. You don't want to say, well, you know, my house is blue and, uh, you know, the yard is beautiful. No, I want help. You say, help now. And that's what 911 prayer is. God, help me. I am dying here. And that's what Jesus says. He says, it's coming. He knows exactly they are coming with Judah to arrest him. He knows what's coming for him. He knows what he has to pay. He knows that the Father will turn away from him. And he says, Father, help me. Can you take this cup away? So many times in history, God gave the cup of wrath to so many nations. Isaiah, Ezekiel, the prophet said, I let them drink my cup. And the cup destroyed the nations. And she said, I cannot take this cup. Can you take it away from me? That would be my will. Remember Queen Esther? She was also praying a 911 prayer. Queen Esther was in distress because there was an emergency. There was a decree to kill all of the Jews in the kingdom. And she was the queen. And she says, okay, 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 I understand. What's at stake stake is our existence. It is an existential threat. If God is not coming here, it is an existential threat. We are going to be wiped out as a nation. So she says... Would you fast with me? And I will pray too and fast for three days. All of us, all my servants, animals, whatever. Day and night. And after that I will go to the king. Even if it's not the custom to go to the king. And if I perish, she says, I perish. She prays as if her life depends on that prayer. Because it's a 911 prayer. The ultimate purpose of prayer, remember that. Even Jesus says, okay, I am in distress. But my ultimate purpose is to do God's will. The Father's will say, not as I want, but as you want. I have so many desires and plans and agendas. But in the end, you see the Lord's Prayer. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? It teaches us what to pray. We pray our Father who are in heaven, right? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, we say. What do we pray? Your will be done. What do we pray? Your will be done. And this is how you pray it. You pray your will be done in an emergency. So Jesus shows to us how to pray when we are in an emergency. And he says, this is how you pray. You, you face the ground and you plead with God and you say, Father, this is where I am. Can you change this? Can you take this cup from me? But in the end, it's not my will, but your will. Because your will is perfect. My will is tainted. Christ's will was not tainted, but he was still human. He was trying to say, can you, can you solve this problem otherwise? But our wills have to align with God's will. Three times Jesus persisted. Three times. Sometimes we say, you know, uh, I will pray for you, brother or sister. And then we go and say, well, Lord bless, bless her. Oh, may the Lord be with you. And we say, well, I, I pray for you. Here Jesus says, three times, one hour each. And the same thing. He's not afraid to repeat the same thing. Because his heart is not content, is not healed after the first time. He goes back to the disciples and says, what, what are you doing, guys? Well, thanks for the, your, your help. You know, can you watch and pray? And then he goes back again one hour. And comes back again. it's midnight. Maybe they were about midnight, 11 o'clock midnight when they arrived there. So about 2 o'clock in the morning, he is still praying. Three times, three hours in prayer. We say, well, I pray for the Lord for this issue, and he never did anything with it. Really, how, how, how did you pray? Well, I just said, Lord, uh, can you take this away? <clears throat> uh, if, you, if you take it, it will be so nice. But if you don't, uh, thanks anyway. No, the, the, you, Jesus said, no, Father... This is what I want. With fervent cries and tears, he prayed often. Three hours in prayer. Now, we were invited to use the prayer room here at the church and to come here with the family. And it's not bad to do that, to say, you know what? One of our prayer places is the prayer room. I will start there. Anytime there is something there, or even if there is nothing organized, we'll just go there. There are always prayer requests. Bible verses on the walls people to pray with, cards that are full of requests to pray for, prayer, prayers that are needed, people that want us to support them in prayer because there are real needs of real people. you know that prayer still works today, even 911 prayer? Uh, what's, what's interesting is in USA Today, about uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, during Mar- uh, Martin Luther King Day, there was this uh, teenager, 14 years old, and he was fishing, ice fishing, and he fell through the ice. And they couldn't find him for about 15 minutes. When they pulled him out, the, the emergency vehicles, he was without poles. They took him to the hospital and they worked on him about half an hour until the doctor said, there's no more poles, you know, he's dead. Officially, we have to say he's dead. At that moment, the mother burst into the room and she starts to say, Oh God, oh God, send your Holy Spirit and revive my son. Can you, can you bring him back to me? With a loud voice. And then about a minute later, there's pause. Somebody says, there's Paul's. And then about two few minutes later, the doctor said, this is a miracle. This is a miracle. 45 minutes without the pulse." 911 prayers. You never know when God is going to decide to save somebody, right? He's not saving everybody that is drowning. He's not healing everybody's eye or everybody's illness or cancer. One day he will. But he still wants us to pray. Because he can. And he will continue to heal. And finally, prayer is warfare. It's fighting in prayer, you know. Do you know what the disciples are being told? They say, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. If I am falling into temptation, one of the reasons is because I'm not praying. Remember Judah? Where is he? He's not praying. He's doing the plans of the other master. You either pray with Christ so that you do not fall into temptation, so that you are on guard, so that you are watching, or you are with the other one. We fight against two enemies. The first one is very strong. It's Satan. He comes with his lies, and he says, you know what? Do you really think that God listens to your prayers? Come on. Your prayers don't go higher than the ceiling. Don't you think that the God of the universe is going to get involved in your little petty things? Do you see how much of a universe he... I mean, you are so insignificant. Why would you think that he cares about your issues, how, your feelings, your problems at work? And then there are so many of his attacks, that says, why pray now? You know, you need to go and fight with this person instead of praying for him. You are too busy to pray for your neighbor. You you don't have time to love him. Just go and do your work and be a good citizen of this world. You don't need to pray. Oh, by the way, if you pray around the table, that's fine enough. Just keep going. And then ourselves, right? The enemy is ourselves. It says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many times we have good intentions, right? The disciples, they, they agreed with Jesus that they have to watch and pray. But they, they had heavy eyes. To pray like Jesus, you have to be crushed like Jesus. Remember, <clears throat> have you ever remember eating olive oil? If you eat olive oil, you know, it might come into a glass like that. And if you ask the owner, you know, say, hey, how much you paid for it? You might say, well, I paid $7. You know, it's a pure extra virgin olive oil. <clears throat> but what if you ask the olive that made that oil, how much it cost you? How much it cost you? What, what would the olive say? Everything. It cost me everything. Gethsemane means means oil press. The name Gethsemane means where the oil is being pressed. And on the cross, Jesus was pressed. Isaiah says he was crushed, crushed for our iniquities. And he says he was the punishment that brought us peace was on him. That's why was he there. He was like an olive squeezed. And then he says, by his wounds we are healed. Not by our wounds, by his wounds we are healed. So a few thoughts for us. Last week, uh, Pastor Ron, you know, talked about the Lord's Supper. To have that cup for us, to give us the cup, he had to take and drink the the cup of wrath from God. He knew that. But he said, Father, if somehow you can take it. But he said, no. Not my will, your will. So just a few questions for us this morning. Would you... Would you bear your heart open to Jesus? Will you just say, this is, this is who I am, Father. When I come to you, Jesus Christ, I see how you prayed and I want to pray like you. But just, I'm opening my heart to you. Maybe you say, why should I pray? Because I don't even trust in him, you know. I don't believe that he can save me. Maybe now it's the time for you to say, I trust in you. I thought that I can solve my problems or I can go to the doctor who heal me. But then now I realize there is something Inside me, a spiritual illness that only you know how to take care of at the cross. So maybe it's the time today to just trust in him. To say, I I trust my soul into your hands. Just ask yourself, what if I pray to conquer my temptation? I have this thing that that I fight with. What if I will pray for it? No matter what it takes, I will just stay and pray and pray and pray and maybe ask friends to pray with me. And have two or three people ask me, keep me accountable. Have you prayed? Have you asked God to give you strength? What if we recover in the church and in our lives, in our families, the power of prayer? What if we make the prayer room a prayer a room that everybody knows intimately? Just as you know, your other corner in your home. What if we pray in the prayer room so loud... That the neighbors will say, what are you doing there? Why are you loving us so hard? What if we pray that the Lord will bless us with his grace in an amazing way that people who come here, who meet us on the street, who live around us, will know about his grace and love? What if I love God in prayers and say, Lord, when I spend time in prayer, I just feel that I love you. And every time I go in prayer, I feel like we have a session in which you tell me how much you love me and I declare my love to you. What if... We make our prayer the first place where we love our neighbor, and we pray for them. We pray for them, whether or not they are faithful. And what if we pray like Jesus, you know, maybe sometimes early in the morning, sometimes at night, sometimes on a mountain, we just maybe go in a place, or sometimes the whole night. What if we schedule in our year and say, you know what, I'm just going to take this night uh, uh, for prayer. Maybe one or two nights a year. Would that be too bad? What if I pray like Jesus and open my heart and cry and plead with the Father? What if we do that? Remember, we need to be open to God with Him in prayer. There's nothing to hide. We come with Him as we are. And then we, in any emergency, go and cry, God, help me. God, help me. God, bless me. God, be with me. God, save me. God, rescue me. Because we remember that prayer is fighting, is warfare. Prayer is something the enemy doesn't want us to engage with because he's afraid. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for Jesus, for his prayer life. We give you thanks for the Gethsemane prayer that uh, teaches us so much about how much you trusted the Father to put your life into his hands, to follow his will. And how much you struggled, though, with what was coming with how high a price you had to pay for our sins. We ask that you will bless our hearts, our prayer habits, our families, and help all of us to follow you in that prayer life, to be people of prayer, people that ask you to bless us, our city, our lives, our country, and the world. Because we trust that you are the Lord that listens to our prayers. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand and receive God's blessing. As you leave this place, if you need somebody to pray with you this morning, there's a prayer room to my right. Please use that if you haven't used it before. As we go from here, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord, may his face shine upon you. And may he give you his peace and power. Amen. You may go in peace.